Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Welcome to Ashley Talks Podcast number 12. Today we have an amazing guest, String Yuing, who has created the first B2B video channel on LinkedIn. She has also grown her followers from just 900 to over 20,000 in just eight months. She is also recognized as the top voice on LinkedIn, and she's been creating videos throughout tons of different social media platforms very successfully. For example, she produced an award-winning Snapchat channel called Women in Tech. She is also nominated for 30 Under 30 Forbes Asia. Nguyen, uh, String, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to help you here. Thank you for having me, Ashley. Yes. Uh, can you tell us your story? How has that happened? How did you grow 20,000 followers in just eight months? How uh, have you get, gotten this idea of producing LinkedIn videos for this seemingly boring professional platform? We want to know it all. Well, um, probably like the first time I did video was like four years ago and it was on Meerkat. Have you heard of Meerkat yeah. before? Meerkat was, for people who don't know it, is what Periscope was before <laughs> Meerkat came around. Then Twitter and Periscope kind of squished it in within six months. Mm. But that, it pretty much like taught me what everything that I need to know on how to create a channel. You need to be a, creating content on a consistent basis. You need to create a community. And you also need to have a be a channel. Like, yeah. Be a channel of like, you know, what are you... What is your channel known for? It's almost like creating a YouTube channel, but the only difference is it was live streaming. And it taught me a lot about authenticity as well. Mm. So what I realized is like then Meerkat died, then I went on to different various video platforms and I kept on doing the same thing, creating a channel, creating consistent content and creating uh, and being authentic and building a community and it kept on growing and growing. And then I jumped on Snapchat and... Uh, what I realized was like I was starting to talk a lot of like B2B content on a right. B2C platform. So it's like, oh, oh no, <sighs> oh no, what do I do now? I noticed my numbers were dropping and uh, I even like created a course around it and I noticed it's like, oh no, what do I do now? So I was about to jump on Instagram stories and Instagram, uh-huh. build up, you know, create a strategy for it when LinkedIn kind of approached me and said, String, we love your content, you love your videos. Would you like to be a beta user for video on LinkedIn? Ooh. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. And I'm like, hell yeah. So I jumped <laughs> on then. And, you know, uh, did the same thing. And the th- people think it's like I'm like a new video maker. It's just like a, I noticed that people want more authentic, you know, to be human on there, to be, to find a authentic voice on there. So that's why I was able to, develop my own style because I had a style before I came onto LinkedIn. Right. It becomes like very seamless, very authentic, very comfortable in front of the camera. Um, but also like still like raw enough that people feel like they could connect with me on a, uh, on a day-to-day basis. So creative had just doubled down on it. And uh, LinkedIn kind of like gave me my first viral video. Right. And then I just, I just doubled down on it and then I grew exponentially since then. Creating community, being part of the community, growing the community, created a channel about video and technology and marketing and also, uh, you know, creating consistent content as well. That's beautiful. And what were your videos about before LinkedIn? Many people would want to know how has that developed? Or have you shared similar content on all of your platforms, which would be also surprising, but maybe that works. 
I think uh, I'm really good at asking the right questions. I always like I did about on Facebook Live. I did about 300-ish interviews in one year. Yeah, uh, and so it's like me just being a geek and talking geek talk with all these <laughs> like founder startups. And plus, like I also did a lot of like uh, conferences, so I was able to build up a library of content really quickly. Yeah, beautiful, beautiful. So what are the differences between um, growing channel, let's say, a Snapchat or Instagram or YouTube or LinkedIn? What do you think is the future? I actually think you have to be aware in terms of videos. Yeah. I think I still think videos is going to be more becoming the norm. It's the difference between is if you want to be creating social videos for consumption or do you want videos to be more about conversions? So you have to find out. So it's like, do you create content there? You go on YouTube and then people watch your content for three hours straight. Or do you go and create content uh, on like Facebook, face, uh, LinkedIn and Instagram, which is all about the feed. Mm, mm. And do you think videos convert better in the B2B context? Because you are producing a lot of videos that are, you know, around marketing and tech and B2B with the link to B2C. Do you think videos convert? It depends on what it is. Like, because I've seen some really good way of producing videos. At the moment, if you want to get comfortable in front of the camera, you should probably build up more your brand awareness before you go into the conversion, because it's all about the trust factor. Mm-hmm. And uh, I see a lot of people on my LinkedIn, you know, right now posting videos, and sometimes they're just walking somewhere in the park, and they're holding that camera, and they uh, they start talking, um, sometimes uh, something sensible, sometimes complete nonsense. Um, in your view, uh, does uh, content on LinkedIn, because it is a professional network, needs to be very professional? So you need to sit and, you know, at the table and you need to have professional setup and the light on you and you need to talk about, you know, uh, something meaningful, give it, giving it a new spin and take. Or is it okay to just go live? Yeah, which is not really live on LinkedIn, but basically start recording that video and uh, talk about your day and, you know, the challenge that you uh, that you overcame. What would be what would be the winning strategy? Not don't do one and then stop. Mm. That's probably what it is, because a lot of people stop doing like, oh, no, I don't have that great views. It's not about having the first. No one is like that great with their first Mm. video. Yeah, it's a matter of like um, building it up and building it up on a consistent basis till you build up a credibility that people will trust you. No one's going to trust you in the first meeting. Right, right. So how uh, do and you I build think, the... Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people like just stop with one video. That's what it is, I think. And how many videos shall you produce in order to get the results from your experience? How many have you produced before your first video went viral? Oh, 30 days, usually. But I think... Uh, because I build up a following because then you more of the validation comes through when you start building a following and people start asking you questions and start following you for different channels. Yeah. Uh, and, and when you and uh, go ahead. And right now you still produce consistently once a day. I watch your videos sometimes. Um and uh, do you I mean a lot of people also ask that question, do you have enough content? What are you going to talk about 365 days a year? I actually write and then do videos as well because it helps break the momentum up. Uh-huh. But also, I, I find that I don't run out of ideas. I do a brainstorming session every morning, like during my coffee breaks, and think of three ideas that I need to like, think about or write about or talk about. And everyone actually acts as my inspiration because they ask different questions or 
they always say something along those lines. So people are, uh, every person that comes and reach out to me, they say, can I pick your brain? I'm like, no, but you could ask me one question. Hmm. Mm, beautiful. That's that's a fantastic technique. And you know how Gary Vee constantly talks about uh, everybody uh, in business right now and a lot of uh, business executives must build personal brands, right? And that's what you're also saying. Everybody needs to be building their you know, channel and personal brand and sharing that information. Uh, what do you think is the future of entrepreneurship going to be like uh, when everybody is a brand? Is it really possible? Do we have well, enough attention? I, mm-hmm. Well, I do think so because... The one that, that that stands out are the ones who continue to do it from day one to day 365 to 1,000 days. Because, <laughs> so like, I don't – you probably noticed already, like, uh, if you create content, who is the tortoise and who is the hare? Yeah. And who do you think is going to win the race of content? Because not everyone has the stamina for it. Right, right, right. Or, or the ego gets in the way or uh, they think uh, they don't like the results that comes from, like – you know, after 15 days versus someone who's doing it for 60 days. So it's like a, it's almost like you have to kind of fine-tune it over time because personal branding is a marathon, not a race, like yeah. not a sprint. Right, right, right. And uh, a lot of people say uh, around me that this is actually a full-time job and I agree with them because I started doing personal branding, let's say, eight months ago and it had significant impact on my business and, uh, as you say, this uh, thought leadership and you know, trust. And it's been fantastic. And I'm doing that. I have, uh, you know, a team that supports me at times, but it is a full-time job. I spent most of my time, you know, recording podcasts and uh, going and doing interviews and having a TV channel and recording stuff and producing content. It takes a lot, a lot of time. How can, um, you know, business people that are actively engaged in managing their business or leading their teams uh, actually do that? Do you have any uh, tips for them? Oh, well, I was actually thinking about this a lot because I've been getting a lot of people from busy professionals asking right. me all the time, how do you manage to create content? <laughs> and one, you, you do need the headspace for it, right? Yeah. So it's like if you, because otherwise, if you don't have the right headspace, you, you kind of unconsciously share your energy when you create content. Yeah. And if they pick up your bad energy, then they're just like, oh, I didn't have a good experience about that. Uh, but I do feel like, People have to like um, book in the time where it's like, okay, I'm going to spend two hours today or this week, every week, like a habit to create content. And then you build up a library of bank of or library of content or do what I uh, recommend to do is like, oh, there must, if you're an expert, I betcha gazillion dollars Mm. that you have the same questions being asked all the time. Yeah. What are the five questions can you know that you know on top of your head that everyone asks you all at the same time? So those are like your evergreen content, but when those questions come to you, like, hey, I've got like this video that you should watch. Yeah. That, and so it's like a Q&A kind of style in you know, evergreen content. So that I bet you everyone could do those five questions all the time. Yeah, And absolutely. it's a matter – and then making sure that you have a strong – call to action on each of these questions. If you have more questions, feel free to reach out to me. And if they watch it and then they reach out to you again, then you just like pretty much the video did what its intention was to make them come back to you for more expert advice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. So you, you think it can be managed without making it a full-time job, right? With two-hour commitment a week, it's totally possible. Well, you have to probably have like a basic strategies, but... right. At least it's like, at least like uh, if I were you, it's more about 
um, I, I call it the six V's of personal branding or strings V's. Mm. You need a vision, you need your values, you need your voice, you need your visuals, you need your vogue, which is like a V for like folks, like mm. who are your people? And then who, what are your like, validations? So it's like your KPIs or your, um, you know, what, you know, success, met- metrics of success. When you have those six things in line in the six Vs, I think everyone could do personal branding. Absolutely, absolutely. And I recently heard that you called 2018 the year of LinkedIn channels. Why is that? Because uh, it exploded. <laughs> but we, even if we have 500 million users using LinkedIn, very few are very good LinkedIn channels. Mm. Mm. And so to, uh, a channel is everybody's profile, right? And once you start constantly posting and have your, have your followers, then you are a channel, right? Pretty much. Uh, I think anyone could possibly build up a channel. But if you have hyper growth, that's when you know you have people's attention. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned early on LinkedIn reached out to you and they said, okay, why don't you, you know, test our better videos? How much do you think LinkedIn helped you to actually gain that attention and, um, you know, grow your followers to 20,000? Can people without that support from LinkedIn right now still do that or replicate that success in your view? Mm, I have to say I probably have a very much... If you look at my page and you're a newbie, if you see it, I have a follow button. Right. It's because I want top voice. A follow button is not on everyone's channel. Right. Not on everyone's profile. And probably that's where my following count has grew quite consistently. And they're not all followers. Oh, like, you know, like there's like a 30,000 hat limit of connections. My right. connections is only three and a half thousand versus 20,000 followers. Beautiful. And how to win that ho- uh, top voice? People must be wondering, what is that? <laughs> it's like pretty much the formula is like there at the beginning. They say that you have to have really strong community and really strong growth. Aha. Aha. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. And String, um, you are uh, an entrepreneur by yourself. Can you tell us a bit more about your entrepreneurship journey? When and how have you started, uh, you know, thinking to start your own business or were these videos and building that community your first business or have you done anything like that before? You said you're a gig, you love technology. So how does that plug into your entrepreneurship journey? Oh, I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur. Ah. <laughs> or <laughs> I think um, but. I, what would I have you like call a strong yourself intention. if not an entrepreneur? Well, I actually, because like um, when I first started out on my journey was when I realized I wasn't happy working for the man or I didn't have any creative control. And mm-hmm. so, and then I became an artist and I was really good at that as well. Uh, but I realized I wasn't sustainable because I didn't have any business acumen mm. or lack of business. And because of that, I was like, okay, I'm going to like become get into social media and then that's probably when it spurred me into this direction of being an entrepreneur. And I realized like entrepreneur for me is more like a lifestyle choice. Like what kind of intention do you want to do and wake up every day that you're the most happiest and most fulfilled? And then when you're kind of working, it doesn't feel like work, but it's like a thing where you feel compelled to do all the time. 
Mm. And how have you discovered that purpose? How have you discovered that juice? Because a lot of people start businesses. I mean, there are tons of reasons, right, to start a business. As you said, for you, it was more of a liberation path, right? You didn't want to work for, for the other guy and uh, you, you tried to do something else and then it turned into business. For other people, it's all about the money. They, they have that, uh, that, that image in their head that if they're business owners, they're going to get a lot of money. They don't realize how much work really goes into that. Um, but for other people, it's also, yeah, I want to do something fun. I really want to make an impact in this world. I want to, I want to, you know, share my message, etc. How have you found your message? I think it's more the, the kind of vision and purpose. It's what I call like sparkles. Like if you get the, someone's super passionate about something, they sparkle. Mm. Mm. And I, I think I'm the best. Uh, I sparkle for the most when I talk about video or technology, marketing and my family. Hmm. Beautiful. And then you, you found a way to combine it and, uh, and uh, make, make it, it happen. work. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I think a lot of people, I think what it is, it's like I have the, I didn't give up. I just found a way to do it. And people, I guess it's also helps that I have a character where people believe in me as well. Uh, and communications. I realize a lot of people don't have strong communications or have very frank conversation. And they're really hard sometimes. But I know that those conversations are necessary sometimes it doesn't work out but at least like that person respects you even more for having those conversations in the first place mm, beautiful and right now we see more and more women in business right so globally and we've got all those uh let's say women movements from me too to lean in etc do you think it's uh it's now easier uh is it better for a woman uh you know to step into a professional world or be in business or is it still tough do you ever face any you know challenges uh, exclusively by being a young uh woman um or you don't feel anything like that at all I think uh, actually I've been more conscious of who I've been hanging out with or who my champions are. Right. Because if, if I feel like women, we all have this like internal radar, right? We should trust that more. If you're like an amazing entrepreneur or like a person, you know who to trust a lot more than the next person. So finding the right partners is something that is key to surviving this game because it's really hard. But businesses is really hard generally. But I do feel like um, being a woman has given me more passes than anything else. So it has given you more passes, right? It's uh, it's actually yes. helping. That's fantastic. Yes. That's exactly how I feel. And uh, I also also feel that the conversation right now globally, again, through those movements, though is very important, obviously, to get rid of the, uh, you know, abuse uh, at workplace. However, the conversation is very negative. You know, everybody focuses on the problem, but nobody focuses on solution. And those successful women that I know, they uh, do not view themselves as weak or as, you know, uh, as small or lesser than anybody else. They just go and get them. They just go and do what's necessary. And I think we don't give enough spotlight to these women and to their, uh, you know, ways of working their way up um, because that's where solution lies. And that's, that's what I think is going to propel this whole conversation to the next level. Uh, you just mentioned communication, that you're a great communicator. Um, do you think uh, anybody can learn it? Do you think it was inborn? How have you become such a fantastic communicator? You also mentioned that you can ask, uh, you know, interesting questions and you're really good at doing that. So how can we learn to be great at it as well? You have to do the opposite and listen. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of people talk too much, but if you ask the right questions where they're 
it's triggering those moments where it's like, well, what do they really care about? Because if you know what triggers them in terms of sparkliness, they will always talk about it more than anything else in the world. Ah. And uh, if, you, if you know that my trigger points is like fried chicken or innovation, gigs, and even my family, those are things that I will open up. So there are certain questions that people open up more to than anything else. So it's just like a matter of like finding those like three key topics that anyone is really like, – if you go for a party, right, how do you usually introduce yourself? Or do you introduce yourself or do you ask questions? Yeah, you ask questions, of course. Oh, not everyone does that. Nah. Yeah, well, a lot of people, yeah, then they start bragging, then you're listening to them, okay, next. <laughs> but no one asks questions. Yeah. Instead of like talking about yourself, you should start asking questions. That's not right. relevant to you, but to them. Be interested in other people, not trying to be interesting all the time, right? So, of course, yeah. of course, of course. It's like, because like everyone, everyone has like this thing, maybe my thirst for knowledge and curiosity has brought me to a place where I could just find myself in a situation and I just ask questions. But it open, that's the thing that opened more doors for me for anything else is just understanding and connecting the dots more faster than everyone else. Absolutely, because before you can connect the dots, first you need to collect those dots from somebody else, right? Yes, yes. And everyone gives clues all the time. It's just a matter of understanding how to connect those clues all together. Oh, that's beautiful. And you just mentioned one of the topics that you're really passionate about is innovation. So what is that current innovation that's happening in the world, in tech or anywhere else, in any other area that you are really excited about? And why are you excited about it? So you probably already heard about blockchain already, right? Right, of course. Uh, and and ICO has really grabbed everyone's attention. Right. The government, the everyday person, the because um, I've been traveling around the world to like about three or four continents and everyone is talking about ICO. <laughs> Not everybody in the positive way, but yes, everybody's talking. <laughs> Everyone's definitely talking about it. Positive, whether it be positive or good thing, I think it, it's because um, people don't realize it's like the blockchain is the future, but what's making it mainstream or like making people talk about it is definitely ICO. Even yeah. though technically some people don't say ICO because it's like a legal word, but they say token sales or um, very similar things and pretty much like... Uh, ICOs, everyone has everyone's attention right now. Right, right, right. Are you investing in ICO? Are you involved in it somehow? Oh, I've always been part of the crypto space for the last four years. When Meerkat started, that's when I got into down the rabbit hole as well. Aha, aha. And what do you think? I mean, the, the, the reputation of ICO projects is, um, yeah, as we, as we said, is uh, not perfect uh, here in the region. Yeah, China blocked all ICO mentions, as we know, throughout social media and digital space. Um, and of course, cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is not exactly what ICO is all about, right? It's just, it's just a part of it. But um, and do you feel that, uh, you know, what would be the path forward for all those projects to go ahead uh, to actually, uh, you know, to, to, to raise that um, recognition, to raise that awareness among, you know, the general public? Because right now it's very negative and there are a lot of fishy companies just trying to get money and people feel that they're going to run away and there's no regulation around it. So how do you think people are going to move forward from there? Oh, well, um, when I was in the space, because it's so tiny, we were all self-educating in terms of understanding what works and what doesn't work. Right. So we were like, you know, how to look after your money properly. 
um, making sure that you're like protected, how to like make sure that your wallet is safe. Um, this now like we have all this like like you know this wave of tsunami of people who just haven't got that education in the first place. So of course they go get scammed because they don't know or understand the red flags. So they put went in there blind. Right. And um, you know, um, and people want to find ways of having quick cash. Of course, they go get you know the, <laughs> the sense of FOMO. The sense of FOMO, like if we have to have a a, a study on FOMO, I say is it. In many ways, it's like also understanding of like the trends of marketing. This is like a, a good example of organic marketing and community marketing as well. So that's why I'm super interested in this space because it's everything that a marketer should be aware about because this is like how they trigger the FOMO. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what is the best way to get educated about ICO and blockchain and the future of this whole industry? You said that a lot of people are just not educated. Um, well, follow a few like uh, influencers, on Twitter, on Tableus, like they're all hanging out on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, uh, you know, Vitalik as well. Uh, there's so many people there that I think you should just be part of the community and just ask lots of questions. Because everyone's asking the same questions as well. It's like, how, what is a Bitcoin? What is a blockchain? Can it be used as a uh, everyday thing? Can I buy my airfare with it? Can, how do I protect myself? How do I become more of my own bank? Not because you know decentralization means like you have to take care of your and have ownership of, of money. What is money? The basic thing of everything that everyone should understand is what's the economics of money. Absolutely. And you mentioned Twitter is the right platform here in Hong Kong. Very few people use Twitter. I think outside of the US and a couple of European countries and probably Australia, it's really not the most uh, engaging platform out there. But you need to be on Twitter to follow those topics. Can you give us a couple of names of people to follow? Oh, let's see. Antreus, uh, Antipolis, Vitalik, he's the founder of uh, of Ethereum and Justin Wu for marketing mm-hmm. and uh, I have a list and I think I I should what should I should do after this is like create a crypto list for people to follow and then I think that would be fantastic work. and we're just gonna send send our listeners there to that list because uh, yeah, people really need to get educated and uh, get to understand it uh, much, much better. How do you imagine the future, uh, you know, with this blockchain technology being implemented at a large scale? What is the future going to look like in it's, your view? People go and it's what blockchain is like the internet, right? Isn't it? That's what I really think about it. No one, right. uh, there was a bubble that came out from the internet as well, right? So there's like, we go watch another bubble happen and it's going to be amazing to watch. That's why I'm in it in the first place because I don't have, don't think this kind of conversation or this kind of narrative is going to happen again. Or it probably will happen, but this is a rare chance to be part of this technology bubble. Uh, I do right. think uh, blockchain is going to be here to stay. It's just to add another layer of value, incentivization, I should say. Right, right. And so many countries like if, right now. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. If uh, sorry, like if I one more thing, if internet is inf- is the idea of information, I think blockchain is going to be the layer of incentivization. Hmm. Hmm. So that has so many implications, right? That is now even difficult to imagine how it will all come together, right? Yes, exactly. And no one knows. And no one knows. <laughs> 
that's a beautiful place to, to, to arrive at and no one knows what's going to happen. Uh, I, love that, I love that book by uh, Yuval Hariri. Uh, he wrote Homo Sapiens and he also wrote Homo Deus. So in that Homo Deus, he's talking about the future of humankind and how we are all becoming basically, uh, you know, a new version of, uh, of, um, of uh, human species and how everything gets centralized, how the whole, basically, the whole countries and uh, continents and, and the whole, the whole, uh, earth, planet earth becomes unified in a couple of hundred years from now in his view. And I think blockchain technology is something that's actually moving us closer to that goal because, uh, think about, uh, think about the implications, right? How you can own your own information and currency and, you don't essentially need banks. Uh, you don't need uh, certain governments even, which is scary for many, right? I think so because, you know, education, if you want to go back into it, education has taught us to be like sheeples. Mm, mm. And, you know, we have to like conform to certain ideas or formality and they don't really teach critical thinking or curiosity. It's all creativity in a sense. It's like me, like during high school, I was an anomaly. It's like I tried to like follow the steps, but I realized that it's like inherently I rejected it almost instantly. So anyone yeah. who doesn't like high school or universities, like you should probably find them inside blockchain somewhere. <laughs> That's beautiful. And they say that uh, by 2030, uh, the, the world uh, the world will have so many people that do not have jobs right now, right? Because of the rise of robotics and, uh, and again, all these new technologies that are coming up, AI, etc. And the world education system is absolutely unprepared. We are working with one huge uh, international education price and uh, we see how in the, in, in, in the world, probably 90, 95% of schools are still teaching children the survival skills of the 19th century. <laughs> Not exactly. even 20th. And uh, if, you, exactly. if, you call, if you go to a, you know, hospital, I love that example because it's just so show, showing. If you go to a hospital from 200 years ago, basically 19th century hospital, and you go to a hospital right now in 2018, you will see significant differences, right? From the equipment that they have to the, to the, to the way they treat things and, you know, how much they understand about the body and, you know, the processes. But if you go to a school 200 years ago and you jump to 2018, 18, that would be pretty much the same school. Maybe you have a couple of pretty colorful charts, but the rest is exactly the same from teaching process to the things that we're teaching kids. And that is crazy, no? I think so, because they don't teach you to be how do you adapt? Because I remember um, everything that I, I'm a much better student now, if I think about it, compared to that I was in high school, for example. And you, oh, you'd be surprised. Like I actually, they didn't teach me presentation skills. They didn't, and I didn't like being in front of the crowd. I remember uh, struggling with like um, almost failing English because I was bored with things. But I love literature. So it's like this, like <laughs> uh, like I didn't, you know, I was really doing well in like, sports and everything like that. But they didn't like um, really encourage curiosity or like you know how do you like um, do things together. It's just interesting dynamic because even the, I remember like my maths teacher saying this is how you could like cheat the not he didn't say cheat it but this is like the formula to win like everyone taught you formulas <laughs> so there's like this is how you could ace this test they didn't tell you how to like do well in it there's like this is like the this is the test this is how yeah. you cheat the test like this yeah. is the formula instruction to like make sure that you like be 
come the top, you know, like 70 percentile on this test. Pretty much was like they didn't teach you how to like you know think about things or lateral thinking. They just taught you how to cheat or like find the formula to do this test well. Yeah, to how to get that score, right? It was all about scoring yes. yourself. Oh, that's 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 crazy. That's absolutely crazy. Um, and um, talking about, let's talk about Asia for a second. What do you think? Uh, I mean, a lot of people feel that Asia right now is the most dynamic place in the world. And this is the place where innovation is happening. I mean, look at China, look at Shenzhen. Um, uh, this is the place where um, the money is, the people are, innovation is happening. And um, it's very, very exciting to be here right now. What do you think the future of Asia will be uh, in the global context from innovation standpoint, from any other standpoint you want to explore? I actually think um, even because I've been here for a couple of months in in USA and I do right. feel like the shift is going towards Asia as well. Right. Even in the States. Even I feel that too because I feel like um, I'm looking forward to after like my American journey to go over to Asia for a couple of months and just like immerse myself in Hong Kong, Singapore, China. Uh, and make sure that I enjoy Asia because I feel like the shift is going towards there as well. Yeah, we see so many, uh, you know, founders and people from Silicon Valley right now visiting again Hong Kong and um, mainland China and Shenzhen. Uh, because they finally start realizing that's where things are happening much faster and that's where a lot of unique innovations are being created and Asia is just moving at this crazy speed, right? I, I think so because like the amount of population there and there's still like gaps of opportunity happening inside Asia compared to the mm-hmm. USA. Uh, and to ignore it is is not a smart idea, I think. You have to yeah. acknowledge that there's something happening in Asia. Do you think people outside of Asia, as you say, in the U.S., uh, do you think they really understand, um, you know, China? Do they really understand, uh, you know, Indonesia? Do they really understand Vietnam? Or there's very little education, there's very little understanding. And right now, are people more excited about it or are people more afraid of it? Um, I th- the gateway to Asia, it's not like it's... I do think there's a cultural difference between Western side and Asian thinking. Mm-hmm. And if Americans go there with the same attitude of Asia, they probably go lose partnerships and they don't understand why. <laughs> what are the, those huge differences? Mm, the way they make business deals goes differently in China or Vietnam compared to like in USA. It's different. Uh, I think so. I don't... I actually think I just remember like having like different conversations and uh, doing it differently. It, even the cultural significance of like going for coffee, people don't go for coffee in China or Asia. The only people <laughs> who go for coffee is uh, people who grew up outside of those Asian countries. Right, right. They go for dinner here, right? In Asia, it's yeah, they all go about for the dinner. dinner. It's about yeah. food. It's all about food. It's all about the food. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in some parts, in some traditional industries, it's still about drinking, right? <laughs> and, and, um, I, that's, uh, it, that's the only thing common between Asia and Western society. Everyone likes to go for alcohol drinks. <laughs> that's probably. Yeah. That's but in China, it's all first dinner, big, big dinner, and then drinking. In the US, yes. if they say we go out for drinks, then it's usually just for drinks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really funny. And previously you mentioned that, um, you know, in order to succeed, in order to 
and I really propel in the, in the entrepreneurship and throughout your journey, you need to surround yourself with the right peer group and, you know, identify your champions. So who are some of your champions? How do you make sure that your peer group is, you know, constantly upgraded, that, that, that you're constantly growing because of them? If you find that you're not growing, I think the best kind of partnerships or best kind of growth is when everyone wins in your group or wins yeah. in your network. And if you feel like um, you have no value, you have to like level up your game. Right. Um, or uh, how do you make sure that when you see someone who you know has high value, how do you provide value for them? But it's all about growth, right? So if you're growing or they see your growth, because I feel like um, people see your growth, they go want to pull you up as well. So they give you a little, like, boost. So it's all about momentum. If you don't have any momentum, no one's going to support you, I think. Right, right. And who are some of your there champions? The- Do you have people that you follow, that you feel, okay, them, them, you really connect with their message or... Um... Oh, it's people, it's particularly people uh, who are not famous or anything but they're like hmm. the mentors that um, when I need some guidance in terms of like how to run businesses I always go out to them and ask them the right question that's fantastic so and value, you already told us I how value. to ask the right questions <laughs> so yeah yeah if you ask questions like um, you know how did you get started I think it's a proper question but you can't have that question till you know them or have that relationship with them and the con- the conversations we have with them is more unique than you think it is so the more you stand out with asking the right questions the more that you're likely to have that ongoing conversation with them absolutely and you just mentioned mentors so many people approach me and say oh will you be my mentor or you know uh are you going to start a mentorship program because as you said when you when you're moving up and when people see that progress they want to you know they want to be next to you they want to participate in that upward uh you know mobility kind of thing so um how do you find your mentors uh, do people approach you to be their mentors what do you tell them because you don't have time for everyone right how to manage that all those expectations and that pressure and what is mentorship to you? You know, I actually had a formal mentor and I thought like it will work out. But if you don't communicate on a regular basis, it's not going to work out. So like my mentors are the people where I know they see my growth, but I don't like maintain or like go up to them every month. But what I usually do is like because I travel and I'm fortunate to always travel, I mm-hmm. reach out to them on a regular basis. If I'm in that city, I will make an effort to see them and yep. I go to them. Right, right. Right. So what about uh, formal mentorship? Do you think it, uh, it it's still necessary for somebody to actually commit and, you know, find a formal mentor who, you know, who you're meeting every two weeks or every three weeks? Do you think it's, uh, you know, it's, that's coaching. it's helpful? That's not that's mentorship, coaching. that's coaching. Yeah. yeah. What is the difference uh, then? The coaching is almost like you need some kind of accountability partner. Mentorship means that you always go have them for life. Right. Have you ever had a coach? No, I haven't. <laughs> I don't. I feel like I don't need like a uh, mentorship. But this, I've been into a masterclass, and I feel like I outgrew that really quickly. Right, right, right. No, that's absolutely, absolutely fantastic. And what are some of your plans? What What do you see ahead of you in the coming uh, three to five years? What What are you gonna do, String? I'm definitely focused on being a more of a media entrepreneur uh-huh. and focusing on like how video is. Um, use as a tool for amplification and how it's going uh, use how 
it helps convert and build up brands at the same time. Okay, so you're going to explore new platforms, you're going to expand the business, you're going to help other uh, businesses and entrepreneurs to build their brands, all of yes, the above? mostly for video. Yeah, but video. My focus is just video. And Happy why is it exclusively video? video? I know that you're also writing uh, blogs, right? You, you're also a writer. So why is it only video? Video is something that a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. And like, that's like one tool that I know that I could provide lots of value with. Writing for me is like a, a more of a clarity tool that helps my videos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in terms of videos, uh, right now a lot of people say that, um, you know, if you, if you write a blog, then it helps you with search engine optimization. But if you put video on yeah. LinkedIn... That's not really going to help you. So well, uh, that's probably one of the, you know, one of the obstacles that people, that people uh, see how to tackle that. You know, um, so it's like there's sponsored video content, right? Um, you know, if the good video converts really well when you have strong um, engaging content and a strong call to action. If you want to go a level up, you use sponsored ads to help, um, you know, push, because you get better analytics through that way. Like organic content doesn't give you the nuance sponsored con- uh, video content or sponsored ads that um, LinkedIn video has. And I think over time, it, it's going to get more sophisticated. At the moment, it's very beta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. It's interesting that you mentioned LinkedIn advertising. From what I hear and know, LinkedIn advertising is not very effective unless you are, you know, sending um, event invitations uh, as an email, uh, email, um, basically letter to your newsletter, news um, to, to to your group. Um, what do you think about LinkedIn ads? Are they effective? Shall people spend so much money because it's really expensive compared to all other social networks? Do people really need to spend that marketing dollar on it? If you're like a small business, no. But if you're a corporate, you have the budget for it. But but does it bring the effect? Does it really help? Even if you have the budget for it, shall you go for it? Yeah, I think it does because it's like, um, very few people know how to use it effectively. Of all right. the social platforms, I do think it's super clunky. Mm-hmm. Um, probably Facebook ads. We all know that Facebook ads is probably the best because it gives you the more nuanced things. But I do right. think that uh, based on like my conversations with LinkedIn, they're pushing more towards becoming... Because um, you, you do know that a lot of people that's been hired from um, LinkedIn videos is from Facebook, right? Yeah, 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 of course, yeah. So it's like they're, even the creating the content is already like um, very similar to the language context. They're already building up likeness to it as well. So it's like if you pick John, Terry and Linda's thing, they're probably going to create a likeness ads based on, based on those three people. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So LinkedIn is probably going to move... Um slightly more towards Facebook in terms of the content and in terms of advertising to improve all those to make to make that platform really really stand out and I absolutely love LinkedIn I hope it's not going to turn into Facebook um, long term because uh, because it, it's very unique right you can connect with professionals and then you can have your uh, you know you, you can send messages to them you can you can see what they are doing I think it's a, it has a very different touch and feel um, and yeah. while it can definitely improve I hope it's not going to be Facebook number two in a couple of years from now. 
I do. If they need, if you, they want to avoid being Facebook number two, they need to like switch up. Not, it's about retention because you guys don't, they don't need to be like a feed. They just need to focus on more education and retention. It's like, how do you make people stay on LinkedIn longer? They need yeah. better content. Yeah. And that's why influencers, hence, uh, you know, power profiles, uh, hence, you know, top voices are crucial to the success of LinkedIn long term, right? I think so. But I do think that having a feed is prob- and not seeing Linda integrated properly. Is, uh, Microsoft and uh, LinkedIn have like a, pretty much created a CRM system where people still use it on, on a regular basis. But I don't feel like it's integrated properly because it's still quite clunky. Mm, I feel mm. it, but I do. I, but people are there for a reason because they could. Um, some people find really high quality leads. If you have a really good list, it's like your Rolodex, really. Right, 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 right. No, uh, for for everybody I know, LinkedIn is the number one B two B platform. That's the platform that delivers most value among all social platforms, um, and. Uh, f- for me as well. I mean, you just connect. It's just the quality of conversations is completely different. The quality of people that you can reach and connect and, and, you know, start meaningful, a meaningful relationship digitally is just completely, completely different. It's, it's unmatched so far. Um, in terms of social sure. media, are there any other platforms that you are really excited about right now? Are you, are you excited about Snapchat? Are you excited about Musical.ly? About anything else that's coming up? I, um, so this is my problem with Snapchat. I deleted Snapchat. Oh, tell me why. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm not a fan of Snapchat as well, and I really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually don't like how they treat their users or their content creators. And I didn't, in, you know, eight months in Snapchat didn't give me the ROI like LinkedIn has in two months. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, I just think ethically, I'll, I got put off by the experience with uh, how they did ads and with um, with uh, Rihanna incident recently. And I'm just like, yeah, decided, yeah, yeah. like to uh, stop using it altogether. And I was a really strong power user, but I stopped using it on a regular basis. And I noticed that my numbers have dropped dramatically because everyone switched over to Instagram and stories. It's actually um, Instagram stories pretty much did what Snapchat should have done beforehand, before like Instagram came in and stole all the best bits. Right, 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 right. And right now Instagram is super, super powerful, isn't it? It's very powerful, yes. very visual. And it's a lot of people were saying that it's going to, you know, go down, that it's just a few months wonder, but it's it's still strong. It's it's growing. Oh, they, they perfected the idea of visual candy really well. Oh, the one... The most underrated one is Pinterest. Uh, you uh-huh. can use videos on there. A lot of people don't know it. I think in Twitch, in terms of live stream, is killing it because in terms of consumption, it's right after YouTube. Oh, seriously? Twitchy? Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, YouTube, they want to do YouTube Red. So haven't you noticed like Facebook is trying to go more to esports and Twitch is also trying to go back to um, broad screen, um, to not, uh, to broader general broad streaming, like live mm-hmm. streaming stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think Twitter Twitter hasn't really integrated Periscope properly. So I think Periscope is going down in terms of um, viewerships. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, in terms of YouTube, uh, it's uh, you're all about videos and YouTube is the uh, godfather of videos traditionally, right? What do you think about that platform? Yes. Is it still good for videos? Shall people open their YouTube channels? Because I have a small experience. I started a YouTube channel about a year ago and I can tell you I've got 130 videos there, but it's super tough to grow fans if you're not investing heavily in advertising. So what's your experience? What would be your advice? I'm actually starting, I just saw Kaya do um, a YouTube consultant to be part of the team and mm. he's already, and he's been around for ages and then I realized that at the end of the day, uh, YouTube is part of Google. You have to make sure that your uh, YouTube any page just has the right SEO. Mm. Mm. You need to be searchable because it's like a consumption tool, right? It's like, so you need to have content that's engaging enough but I don't think very few B2B YouTube channels are popping up. There's more B2C content ones. Right. If you, but it's still, like, very few, I noticed, I did a basic search, there's very few LinkedIn videos on there. Or yeah. Like, how to do grow your LinkedIn thing. So I'm probably, like, do a lot of that because people want to watch consumption-based videos if it's high value. Because I noticed, like, LinkedIn doesn't give me the consumption of, like, oh, you know, because um, only... LinkedIn videos only does well about two or three minutes. Yeah. Um, one minute videos do really well because it's a feed, right? So then you only have their attention for a short while. Whereas like YouTube, you could have like 10 minutes of their attention if you give them value content. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you still say that's a valuable channel and everybody yeah. shall explore because it's great for SEO and basically long term it's going to it's gonna bring value, right? Yes, but it, it depends on the strategy. It's like if you do one, you can't, approach LinkedIn videos and put it all there because people get sick of just seeing this particular same video over and over again. So you have to think of it in terms of a series or in terms of uh, ongoing content. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what is your uh, what is your view on Facebook with all these recent uh, scandals and privacy and you know, the fact that it is uh, the world's largest social media platform. Uh, where do you think Facebook is going? Do you think it's going to be uh, still around? Oh, I actually, I'm a little bit jaded because the way uh -huh. that, link, maybe because I'm in the marketing space and the technology space. So I always, always knew that um, they're using our data again. Like, you know, if we're not, if you're not buying the product, we're the product. Mm, yeah. Mm -hmm. The only difference is like we were hyper aware about being used for data all the time. It's just like everyone else is like, but Americans like actually, the ones you get out of the areas is actually the Americans because Americans don't really care. They say it's all about convenience. So when you, <laughs> you put them in the position where it's like, hey, like you, did you know your data is being used against you? It's like, but it's more convenient. It's like all my friends are there and then they get really angry <laughs> when they don't know anything whereas like if you look at Europe they've been educated about data from a couple of years ago so the yeah. way they approach it it's like a lot smarter why do you think all the startups and everything like that has switched over on data protection based on the European GDPR or whatever it's because right. it's like the the one that um the user is actually protected through um the the European laws yeah so it's become the standard yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. I actually think it was funny. So it's like, if, is Facebook going down? I don't think so. I think people still go use it. Um, but it makes you more, it's good education point because now that everyone realizes data is gold. 
Right, right. And uh, also young generation is not really on Facebook. At least here in Asia, we see that so much. I mean, people say, why would I go to Facebook? My mom is there, right? So they go to I, other platforms. I think so. Yeah, 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 yeah. They use Wave, it depends on what platform like it, but I do feel like the way that China and North Korea, I mean, South Korea, went, the way they do live stream is a lot more interesting because you're able to find like PAL users being able to monetize better than the video users here in a competitive Western society. Absolutely. And China is so unique in that sense. They have more than 60 unique platforms, right? And two years ago, when this huge boom, live streaming boom came about and uh, they launched, uh, uh, I do not remember exactly, but I think 15 or 16 live streaming platforms and about the same amount of short video platforms all of which are still alive and kicking and, uh, you know, they, they, they are highly personalized and some of them are, you know, streaming content f- uh, from, let's say, third tier cities. Um, uh, some of them are uh, all about uh, professional user generated content. Some of them are more educational. Some of them are live streaming only gaming. I mean, it's, it's just beautiful. And in terms of monetization, how you can tip a blogger, right? You can pay them. Uh, you can, um, yeah, again, you can sell, see now, buy now functions. And the rest of the world still is so, so far away from that, right? It's it's just yes, amazing. I think so. I, I I actually think like the way that live streaming has been introduced, the fact that you could watch someone eat a whole lot of food and get paid for it is I think yeah. phenomenal. Um, and a lot of people don't realize like they think it's a joke. But it's like no, it's for real. But uh, you know, it's, it's for good. real, and it's a huge industry. And this is the future of the world because I, I'm sure you heard that Alibaba. And a lot of companies within China, including Tencent, uh, in coalition with JD um, and Baidu as well. So basically, they are investing, obviously, in AI. They are investing in um, uh, tons of technology for retail in particular. And Alibaba, for instance, calls that uh, new retail. So new retail essentially means that you put consumer in the center and it's not really omnichannel, but it's all about, you know, online and offline experience being seamless throughout different uh, parties involved. So the, the consumer doesn't uh, care who he buys from. He just wants to have fun. He just wants uh, it to be entertaining, gamified and smooth. Um, and a huge part of that new retail experience is actually, um, you know, integrating social media, social selling, um, you know, live streams, influencers, both big and small. So micro-influencers in China in a year from now are going to be people like, you know, like me and uh, you and uh, tons of other people with, you know, up to uh, 300 followers on their pages, just their friends. Whenever they buy something, they share it on social media and then uh, they collect points and people that buy from that link will also collect points. It's crazy what China is doing right now. So I'm, I'm extremely, extremely excited about the whole development. And the rest of the world is not there yet, right? Oh, I don't. I don't think even YouTube, Twitch, Instagram. Oh, well, actually, Instagram is done like embedding, yeah, uh, buttons and linkable things where you can buy stuff now. Yeah, and China's like already had that. You know, like the WeChat experience is already seamless in that regard already. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a different scale, absolutely. Uh, and the final question, string. What is it you do professionally apart from creating those B2B videos and, uh, and, uh, and sharing Olo and sharing your knowledge? Tell us about your business. Shameless plug. <laughs> I do video and if people need help in creating 
video content for their business, call me. Yay. How can they contact you? Through LinkedIn, just like, hey, like message me directly and say, I like help with video. And then I know if you say, I like help with video, I know definitely that it's coming from this podcast. Fantastic. So basically, uh, String will receive your message if you message her on LinkedIn. So go find her on LinkedIn and definitely send that message. String, thank you so much for this conversation. I totally enjoyed it. So much value shared. All this wisdom, all this information was absolutely, absolutely fantastic. I truly appreciate. Thank you so much for having me, Ashley. And guys, don't forget to subscribe to ashleytalks.com and stay tuned for more amazing guests and further episodes coming out soon. Have a great week and we'll chat later. You've been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show.